Okay. Um, welcome to the back of the house where we discuss the plays per, put on by uh, in, uh, oh, what are we calling it? House is open. That's the name of the show. Back of the house where you discuss shows put on uh, House is Open. And today we'll be discussing Shakes, written by Colin Maddox and directed by Madonna Smith. And featuring the talents of Zachary Vig, Brian Tanner, Melissa Casca, and Jeremy Ebel. Um, Well, I'll throw it over to Madonna and... uh, just talk about the directing process for this. Well, first of all, I want to say a fantastic job to all the actors. I, you guys really, even though it was voice, I felt you really took it to the to the level, and I appreciate that very much. Um, great work, Colin. I really enjoyed this play. Thank you for letting me have the opportunity to direct it. Um, Thank you. Directing is definitely different um, than it is. You know, you <clears throat> we have a a couple rehearsals, first of all, instead of several. So you're trying to put a lot of things into a smaller amount of time. Um, it's also only voice. And so I would like to uh, turn it out to the actors here and say, you know, how do you find that challenge different from uh, when you're on stage and you're able to emote with more than just your voice? And um, I think we all talked about already, we get a little thirstier. But what are some other things that you found a challenge to be um, I think with the when it's just your voice, you're um, you're you're trying to say act more through your voice, but I mean you kind of have to make up for um, being seen gesturing and and whatnot. Um, so some sometimes you just kind of have to um, influence things with your tone and your inflection um, a little bit more than you might on stage um, where people can see you. I don't know if that makes sense, but. <laughs> I'd say, yeah. Yeah, it is a little different. Uh, Like I said, when we first read through it, I felt like I needed to stand up. Um, I didn't think about that until, like, just right now. But (laughs) I wish I would have stood up throughout the recording because I think it would have helped the energy level. But I found myself, like, really trying to, like, like physicality wise, like try to recreate what the, what I would be doing if I were on stage in the scene to like get myself to that intensity, because I knew that I, if I was going to be robbing somebody, I was going to be probably like muscles tense, um, you know, a little, a little bit more edgier. So I was trying to like, I got, I like when we, when I wasn't on stage, I was, I would, I did some push ups on my little yoga mat over here to like get myself kind of laugh, you know? Um, I still found myself doing some of the gestures and stuff, even though I knew it wasn't going to be on screen, but it just kept me in the moment, I guess. So. Yeah, the gestures were a bit of a problem sometimes because I have all these wires coming off of me and I'd like hit the <laughs> wires and like fly all over the place, but. I yeah. found the problem with uh, doing the same thing, you know, you kind of act along just to kind of keep yourself in the moment. But the emotional part at the end, my my standard would be to shut my eyes, but then I couldn't read the script. <laughs> right. I, I think one thing that we did do was um, have the screen on when we when we are recording with each other. And I think that does definitely help to be able to see the other actors, at least, um, even if it's not going to to be played that way later. I think it it helped me when I when I did this. Yeah, no, it definitely did. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it, I mean, it was, well, I mean, even similar to, like, the standing up thing when you're staying your, saying your lines, like, you, like, you have a different kind of energy when you know people's, people's eyes are on you, and so, yeah, turning my video on, as much as it isn't necessarily a comfortable thing, it's, it's, it puts you in, it puts you on stage, sort of, so to speak, and it gets you to be a little bit more aware of, of, every little moment. Oh, uh, Colin, um, our writer. Um, wonderful show. Kind of a Scorsese style of uh, <laughs> Thank you. drama there. Um, do you have any connection to Boston? Uh, let's see. I've been rejected from the BU Playwrights Workshop twice. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, um, no, I, that was mean. I shouldn't have said that. Um, but, uh, no, I, I just have always liked, uh, Boston movies and literature. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, the writer, Dennis Lehane. Um, he wrote Gone Baby Gone and Mystic River and a bunch of like kind of, uh, noir-esque, uh, like crime fiction all set in Boston. And, uh, he, he's from there and I found through that. And then like some of my favorite movies just happen to be set in like the seedier underworld of, urban of cities like i love the movie the departed i love um I, this is not a crime movie but goodwill hunting and I, there seems to be like a whole like almost a genre into itself that is just stuff set in boston uh -huh. uh, because there's such a specific kind of flavor to how people speak there and the kind of person you encounter and uh i don't know i've just always kind of enjoyed stuff uh that is set there and comes out of that place. So I don't know when I was sitting down, it just kind of uh, the initial idea for this script was initially like in a pool hall or whatever. And then there was like a hustling side plot or whatever. And uh, it just felt, it was so fun to get people from this kind of, you know, geographical area and this, to use the really pretentious word, like the socioeconomic kind of status of these kind of people, get them in a room and talking. It was just so much fun. And uh, so I don't have a direct connection to it now. Um, I would love to have like a beautiful backstory of a reason why this is set there. Okay. There's, there's not one. Well, I think the, the movie question is, it, the, the you bring up some of your favorite movies and there's certainly a lot of movie references in this. Um, it's sort of, you know, PJ's thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and are any of those movies favorite movies of yours? Or, I mean, I definitely think that they helped lend themselves to Dottie's character. But, you know, what else? The film noir and things like that. What else do you think you... Uh, there's some really... There's a really good movie. I don't remember what year it's from exactly, but it's called The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Um, and that had a big influence. That's also based on a book by uh, George V. Higgins. And it's set kind of in the Boston underground, like crime world. And Robert Mitchum's in the movie and he's really good in it. Um, and he plays an older gun runner. But yeah, th that was kind of a direct thing just in how they talk. But also, I think the movies that are in the script, like I love the French connection. That's the one that's referenced the least, but I love that movie. Um, I like all of them. They're all like class, like the best years of our lives is a really, really good movie. And that guy, Harold Russell was not an actor. He was a, they just needed an amputee war veteran to play one in the movies wow. at him. And I think he won an Oscar for that. Um, that's a really good movie. Casablanca obviously is like a classic. Um, I don't think it holds up. 
like as well as people think it does. That's maybe a controversial thing, but it's like it's good. Humphrey Bogart's great, and I love that Bonnie and Clyde movie as historically inaccurate as it is. The one with uh, <laughs> Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, and how like kind of weirdly controversial. Because the other thing I, I I I didn't get to put this in the script, but I was reading about that movie when I was writing the script, and th- it was too controversial to have uh, in the original script. Clyde was supposed to be bisexual, but that was too controversial for like movies in 1967. So the compromise, yeah. So really, he was meant to be that way. He was supposed to be, yeah. Wow. Was it. They have him like there was a scene in the original script of him like having an affair with a guy. And, in the sixties. Uh, in the sixties. Well, that's wow. Not, I know it's <laughs> insane, but they were like, "No, we can't have that in a movie." So the compromise sure. somehow is that he's going to be impotent. If you watch that movie, he can't get it up. And I think that's really funny. Um, what movie? Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> with I've never Beatty seen it, actually. Faye Dunaway. It's a great movie. It was like pretty well, shattering. I'm watching it now because that's yeah. all you're going to think about. <laughs> all you're going to think about is that's the right. only way they could make Warren Beatty. This was talked about in some other podcast. The only way they could make Warren Beatty cool was to make him impotent. The only way they could make him cooler. <laughs> <laughs> give him an edge or something yeah. give him an edge by being impotent yeah it's wonderful how bizarre yeah. <laughs> very bizarre but I like all the movies that are talked about in the script and I like having cinephilic care I like when like mediums kind of merge I like that this is a play but we have a character who's obsessed with movies um, yeah. I, that's a very you know honest thing in in pop culture, and uh, you know I like adding weird little real pop culture hints into stuff, and have characters talk that way, especially in like genre pieces like this. Like this is a crime drama, for lack of a better. I'm it's more of a black comedy, I think, but uh, uh, but you know having genre characters talk about stuff that that we everyday people would also be kind of talking about is just very fun and everyone hates that one guy who knows every movie right like <laughs> or knows yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, about it did have a um kind of a tarantino um it reminded me of, of him a bit or at least as far as how he handles um just dialogue and you know, particularly like uh reservoir dogs and pulp fiction which you know oh, yeah. has a lot of um it's, I would say extraneous dialogue, but it's characters, you know. And, well, it's um, interesting because, yeah. like, that w- it is a pretty big influence too. And I love Reservoir Dogs, especially. Yeah, that's I think one of his movies that doesn't really get a lot of credit. But that is pretty much yeah. a play if you watch it. Like, he, yeah, he originally read it as a play. Yeah. yeah, and it's just dialogue. It's awesome. Uh, right. So yeah, he originally wrote it that way, I believe, and then it trans, you know. I think he met Harvey Keitel or something in the made so it just, into a screenplay. You just need to meet someone like Harvey Keitel, and then you can add yeah. your pool scene. You know, I'm going to go right for Harvey Keitel. Um, <laughs> you know, I think he's the pinnacle. I just watched Sister Act. I don't know if you've seen Sister Act, but he's in it. I don't remember if it was one or two. The wow. second. The it was in one, I think, because he was the boyfriend, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I fell in love with him all over again. It probably was because he was younger looking, and I was just like, damn. He's a weird, he's, yeah, he's a good actor. He's, he's kind of cool. <laughs> forget, forget Six Degrees of Seven of Kevin Bacon. It's, it's hard to tell. Yep, we're, we're up in the game. We're changing the game. 
That's you could do that with Harvey Keitel. Like three degrees of Harvey Keitel, though. <laughs> He's done so much, yeah. Treasure. Uh, what's the national treasure? Yeah. I don't. That's think he the go-to. That's what everybody thinks of when they think Harvey Keitel. <laughs> <laughs> national treasure. I love national treasure. Yeah, it's good. It. I feel like we've gone off the rails here, Steve. <laughs> Is Harvey <laughs> yeah. national treasure? Okay. Um, <laughs> We discussed impotency, Harvey Keitel. Um, <laughs> Not related. <laughs> Cross those off the list of things we were going to talk about. Yeah, now we've got to add disclaimers to the end of this thing, everyone. <laughs> no, we don't. They just heard the show. This is fine. <laughs> okay. Um, does anyone want to talk about their character and how they got to know them or how they explored them? Okay. <laughs> I can do that. Okay. Which means we pick you. Yes, Melissa, go. Me? Um, so, Dottie, I mean, I, I, I mean, I tried to find the things that I connect with my characters, you know. Um, she is somebody who doesn't quite know that she has the power to just leave herself, right? She just doesn't realize how much, how much agency agency she actually does have um and throughout the show i think she kind of discovers her agency and and understands how much power she actually has Mm -hmm. and uh you know she she uses richie she uses pj too like she uses everybody and i don't think she realizes that she's using them but she is she is using them she's trying to get to a certain point but i think eventually she realizes like oh this is a tool richie is a tool and (laughs) the truth (laughs) and i think she kind of decides like sharpest tool in the shed is where i need to be and uh, richie's not the sharpest tool in the shed like he's strongest maybe he's the strongest person that she's met you know the bravest or something but when it comes to practicality pj wins out and i think she she starts to realize that throughout the dialogue with pj in the bar she realizes that pj is a little smarter than than richie and she wants she wants to be a good girlfriend but i think more more than anything she wants freedom and it doesn't really matter if it's PJ or Richie that gets her to it. I think she just... Wow, okay. I think she... I mean, as much as she seems weak in the beginning and, and not really consequential in a lot of ways, I think she she realizes somewhere, once once Richie's doing his thing and, and getting a little off the rails there, I mean, she seems to kind of go over to PJ's side a little bit, but... I don't think she's really falling for PJ, and I don't know if she really has real feelings for PJ. I think she just is at that point where she's just looking for the best option. Hmm. Uh, Have you thought about what her life is going to be like after the play? When she takes the money and leaves, or...? Mm, Yeah, I have. I mean, I think she... It's funny, I'm reading... uh, 
can't remember what it's called right now, but it's a it's a book by Ta-Nehisi Coates. It's a novel. It's about a slave who's trying to run away with his beloved or whatever for freedom, and then they get caught. Uh, that's where I'm at right now in the book. And it's interesting because she's trying to run away for freedom. And she's really putting a lot of a lot of stock in these people that she's she's tagging along with, but I think she is ultimately very aware of the fact that she is really on her own. Right on. I didn't get that deep. For me, I was just doing Bill Nye and trying not to do the accent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think with, with Dottie, I mean, she kind of, um, you know, she's the survivor, right? You know, she's the last one standing and she kind of um, usurps the, the men at their own game, you know, kind of takes their weapon and uses it against them and um, ends up on top. Well, she definitely wants to get out. I think that was like the thread throughout the whole show. I think it referenced in the beginning with the, you know, the Ingrid Bergman and all of the references that are made are, are setting you up to who Dottie is and who she is going to end up being. And she's not willing to die for, you know, Clyde and she's not willing to, you know, stay for bogey and she's going to do what she needs to do. Right. I mean, PJ even says it. I think you're like this person because you do what is best for you. And I don't think he means it. Um, in an insulting way, I think he means it in an empowering way that, you know, in your predicament, you're not going to end, you, I don't know girls like you around here because you're not the kind of person that stays put. By the end of this play, I think she's starting to come to the point where she finally understands that maybe she doesn't really need either one of them. Well, it's a good thing. How about you, Zach or Brian? How did you get into your characters? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I really, I really like the character of PJ. Um, and, uh, like, like Miss was talking about, like, I, I often try to, like, see where the characters I play and, like, me, like, where they match up. And, uh, like, PJ, you know, we talked about it a lot, where, like, PJ, PJ is, like, obviously this, like, the smartest guy in this whole thing. Like, he knows it, but, like, doesn't want to portray that. This is going to sound pretentious, and I don't mean it to, but it's it just is. Uh, but, like, I saw myself like that, where I was like, oh, I'm smarter than all these losers. But, uh, <laughs> um, like, a little bit. But, like, oh, I never I never wanted to show that. You know what yeah. I mean? Everyone feels that way. I mean, right, everyone exactly. feels that way. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't. Um, I'm fucking dumb. <laughs> I'm the um, I'm the youngest of a large family. I have never thought I was the smartest person in the room, and if I did, it was quickly, quickly remedied. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the opposite. I'm, I'm the oldest, so there you go. <laughs> How about you, Brian? Um, well, with Richie, you know, it was, it was interesting because I think he's, you know, self-aware to a point, um, and but he tries to hide that or he tries to compensate for it. Um, you know, I think he maybe he understands. You know, he's not really, really smart or, um, has a big, has great plans. He, you know, he thinks he has plans, and he, you know, he thinks he has a goal and stuff, but he's not really sure, uh, how to go about it. I mean, he kind of, basically, I think with Dottie, I mean, I think she's kind of his sounding board a little bit, um, where, um, he kind of gets reassurance from her and, um, a validation 
to a certain extent. So, um, so yeah, so I think, I think that's where I was trying to approach with, with Richie that he's, uh, you know, he, I don't think he really wants to hurt PJ, but, you know, I think he's capable of it. And, you know, at this point kind of resigned to do that if he has to, um, but he comes in with the intention of not because he hasn't even loaded his gun. So yeah, he, yeah. He is hoping I, it doesn't go that way, it seems like. Yeah, but I think once it, it kind of gets to a point where he feels that's necessary and then he, you know, just he does that. But um, so, so yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily thinking that he's a, he's a good guy, but, you know, he's just, uh, um, yeah, I, I don't think he sees himself as being a bad guy. He's just trying to take advantage of a situation and um, make the best of it. And it's, I don't think he feels like it's really a, a crime. He's just taking somebody's, you know, dirty money and uh, making a life for himself with it. Sure. With the exception of uh, Zach, I think that I um, pretty much cast against type. Um, which I, for as an actor, I think you know that's a great challenge. Um, it, it's also, you know, it's not, everything's about, it's not great, but, um, I think, you know, you have to try a little bit harder to figure out those characters and stuff. Did you feel, um, what were any particular challenges you had with playing like a character against type? At one point I said, you sound too smart. You sound like Brian. That was an actual station. <laughs> so, and, um, but in fairness to Colin's characters, uh, they are not one dimensional. And so I think that yeah. a lot of time talking about, you know, how can we make the characters through voice come off as these archetypes, but at the same time, yeah. you know, we wanted to find places where we could find their, their realness. Yeah. I think, I mean, the, I think just for me, keeping it in my head, you know, not to make it a, um, I want to say, how do I say it? Like parody, not parody, but like you know, I don't want to um, make fun of the character or uh, be a stereotype or anything. I mean, they're, they're people. So, you know, people have many different feelings and emotions. So, um, so yeah, playing against, against type is just, you know, I you know, don't want to fall into um, just strictly what I think that that person, a person like that would behave or whatever. So it's just trying to find their, um, uh, what I say, goals and aspirations and, and such. So, Jeremy, for me, the I mean, the cat loving is obviously two type. Mine are just asleep. <laughs> um, and while so, the biggest thing I saw with Egan was that the, he jumps around a lot uh, through emotions in his speech, and typically while my motions may change fairly quickly. There's a quiet pause in the middle. It's not anger, anger, anger. I'm sad. Like it's, or the reverse even, cause it kind of goes either way, either direction uh, in the show. Um, and so that was kind of the challenge there was, and like reading it. Yeah. It makes perfect sense, but actually having to bring that out. That was where the biggest challenge was, was sure. like this, you know, old pseudo schizophrenia type thing of I'm happy now I'm not and you're in trouble and that he was just um he's never vulnerable but this was the one day he was vulnerable right, right. and this was the day that you got picked to 
show that right <laughs> it's like trying to find trying to find that those places where you can show that one time yeah and i think that honestly i think that's all probably the best day to pick i think that's what really works yeah. this character in this play right. is the fact that you know, any other day it'd have been like, oh, boring one-dimensional character, but now we get right. to see some I hate death. that guy, but now we have to, you know, we're... <laughs> yeah. yeah. For all the conflicted feelings, Colin. Appreciate it. I really like Egan's character. I love that it ends on this, like, awkward moment where Dottie's like, God, I feel kind of sorry for this <laughs> fuck. <laughs> and you're just like... I mean, also, she's terrified, right? right? She just watched two people get killed. She was responsible for killing both of them, really. And she just, I mean, she's terrified of Egan. But I think she she wants to play the role. She wants to be the one that's like, okay, Egan, let's, let's, let's play by your rules. But I, I really do feel like she's in charge of it all. <laughs> Even if Egan is sort of... The one that is the most um, unpredictable and and scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she she just she just works with him because she knows that he is a little a little unstable, but she's the one that's kind of in control, especially in the last scene. I mean, I know she's scared, but she's. She's like. I don't think she loses con total control though, because she has already done the probably the hardest thing that she could do by killing Richie, right? right. Uh, and then this is a means of I don't really have a choice if I'm going to leave here. Um, she has a choice; she could do something else, but she's she's got in her head now. She's leaving with this money. I do think, Colin, it is kind of sweet that. Um, in the end, Egan is thinking of his cat, and I like to think that they're going to whatever ethereal place they're going to together, that he's he's getting back with Shakes in that moment, and it brings it all back to Shakes, which is the title. Uh, besides being a clever title, did you have an additional, you know, is there something hidden in the word, in the title being about the cat and about the word pineapple? <laughs> no. Uh, I just like the word pineapple. And I don't know why that's my go-to like code word. Whenever I have to think like we need to establish a code, it's just, it's always, it's probably because you can't really mistake that word for anything else. Um, Shakes, I like it uh, as a title. This, you, this I had so many different titles for this. The, the writers in the group, Brian and Jeremy and all of you guys who, who write, you know, it's like titles can be the most fun thing to figure out and can be also the most, you know, and pull your hair out frustrating because you're like yeah. i want it to encompass everything but i also want it to be really specific i don't know um this went through a bunch of different titles and i, I don't even want to say them because they're dumb but uh shakes and the fact that the cat's full name is shakes that's in a um did you ever ever see that movie sleepers it's not a very good movie oh maybe yeah about maybe. the child abuse yeah, and it's Kevin Kevin Bacon is in it, fun fact. And right. Robert Perry, it's a pretty stacked cast. Brad Pitt's in it. It's like young Brad Pitt. Is Harvey um, Keitel in it? Because otherwise I don't care. Harvey <laughs> Keitel's not in it, but Robert De Niro's in it, and Robert De Niro was in Taxi Driver, and Keitel was in Taxi um, Driver. So is it a Barry Levinson film? It is a Barry Levinson film, yeah. yeah. But it's based on a book that was supposed to be like a true 
case, and the main character, because he is the writer of the group, this group of four young men, uh, four kids living in New York in the 60s, uh, because he likes to write poetry and stuff, they call him Shakes, as in Shakespeare for short. So I always just kind of thought that was funny. And I thought that there is, as I an earlier version of this script, I sent actually to Melissa and Jeremy, and Jeremy gave me some really good notes on it. And uh, one of the big things was he's like, I like that you have some references to Shakespeare, the writer in this, in that it ends with almost everyone dead. Um, (laughs) It is like darkly comedic and you have a character who's named Shakespeare. And also the female character is the smartest person in the room at all times. Um, So when he said that it kind of clicked. So in the, the subsequent draft, which is what we read today, more i tried to bring out some of those more of those like ideas and those kind of tropes of of you know william shakespeare the writer um you know uh as if there was another um but uh <laughs> yeah but um fred yeah. shakespeare yeah. fred shakespeare yes <laughs> yes you know william <laughs> shakespeare no. airline pilot pilot you know <laughs> but um yeah, I just like messing with stuff like that. And I love darkly comedic stuff. I love the work of Martin McDonough. That's a pretty big influence here. Um, just in kind of how, I, I don't think, I had another writer I was talking to, uh, our last writer from The House is Open, actually, who wrote The Human Condition, uh, J. Vernon Reha, awesome writer, said to me, I don't think black comedies work unless they end on the black note as opposed to the comedy note. Like it has to end darkly or else it's not, it's if you give it like a happy ending and this has a relatively happy ending, but like Dottie's probably not getting very far after taking taking part in a triple homicide, at least like she is running her ass off. She's so stressed out right now. She's like not sleeping. Melissa, I I, I want her to get away. I just don't have a lot of hope. (laughs) I, I, do, I do like it though that you didn't, um, you know, have it be a, where everyone is. Like, I like it. Yes, I agree. The dark comedy needs to end on a dark note, but I don't think it needs to end on a final note. And I think that is key. And it's hard to do that without seeming like you're copping out. You know, titles and endings, forget it. Like, it's the worst. How many other plays do you have in the works? Um, so I did. This is. Uh, I'm going to probably regret saying this out loud, but this is uh, (laughs) the first of a trilogy of plays that are kind of set in the same kind of world. They're all kind of set within the world of the the funny pithy answer would say disorganized crime uh, as opposed to organized crime. But there's this play, there's another one called we're never going to see heaven, which concerns uh, two hitmen who have to um, kill a nun and because uh, you know, nice light fare like that. Um, <laughs> and I have a I have a third one in the works uh, that is kind of looking at it of it's my version of the Irishman, the obscenely long Scorsese movie that came out a couple of years ago. Um, that is looking at kind of an aged hitman looking back on his entire life. And um, so those are those are in the works. But right now I'm working with a really cool theater company in London called the Queens of Cups. Uh, on a play called Hindsight, which is going to be a play of monologues that are all um, written kind of one for each month of the year 2020, kind of going through the events that, you know, you know, all those things that happened that last year of ours, um, you There's know, all those things that, 
Yeah, there was a couple things. So going through that, and uh, it's going to kind of be a, a show of monologues, uh, but that's what I've been working on recently. And, you know, I host this podcast called The House is Open, a uh, <laughs> podcast for playwrights and people who like plays, and we will uh, we read new plays from local writers. Um, and also, you and I are going to be doing uh, a little... Uh, yes, we are. A little bit here in April, April 11th at 11 o'clock a.m. if you want to come. It's uh, it's just a little fair program where we have a booth and me and Colin will be there and we might do some little improv games and oh, yeah. yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, we need to talk about that. I've completely forgotten sure to do, but you've been busy. Yes. <laughs> if you do want to send in a play, say, Colin, is there a good way to do that? There is. So we have an email address that's plays at dreamwell.com and you can send your full length, your one act scripts, send us anything. I'll give it a read. We might even make a show out of it. Why not? If you're an actor or a director and you want to get involved, we have a Facebook group, which is called the house is open, a podcast for playwrights and people who like plays. You can go there and drop us a like, and that's where we put out actor calls and stuff like that. If you want to be involved in one of these shows, uh, yeah, it's really fun. Did you guys have a good time? I, I love doing this. <laughs> In all seriousness... So enthusiastic. I do yeah. think this is a, a really... As far as um, keeping your skills, you know, exercised and um, getting to read new work, getting to see the people that you like to work with, I mean, there's a lot of benefits to it. Um it's very challenging, I think, to do audio versus stage. I think there's, you know, a, a level of figuring something out to it, which uh, when you have been furloughed since last March is really super, super helpful and important to your brain to not explode. So I really appreciate these opportunities. And as a director, I find it, I found a lot of different challenges too of, of how can I relay to people what, I think needs to be relayed um, without giving them line readings because essentially we're looking at, you know, we're just listening. So it's like, no, you're not just listening. It's the same. You just need to, you know, put it out into a different direction. I think, you know, I got lucky with the group of people that were here. They're all very talented. So I was able to get away with only a couple rehearsals, you know, Um, I think, it, it makes it for, you get a lot out of it for um, a little time commitment, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah, but this is a case where you definitely made your own luck. I mean, you cast us. <laughs> <laughs> now do it again. I had a really important moment. I didn't want to cut you off. But you're like, it's nice to see people that you want to work with. And I, my, in my head went, yeah, and Zach. Oh, <laughs> of course. There's a throwback. <laughs> wow. That's cold. So, so to quote Zach, Egan, that's cold. <laughs> so Zach and Melissa and Jeremy and I were all in a show at Dreamwell called Hand to God, and we had a really good time doing that show. Mm-hmm. And I think Zach was the star of it. He had a lot of different jobs there because he had to puppeteer he did and went, so what? Amazing. <laughs> he did so well. Yeah. And we That's were paying, so good. We, we, as a cast and the director and the assistant director of that oh, show, we repaid his hard work by mercilessly giving him shit at every. <laughs> and that it's been over a year now, and we haven't. Who's, who's the one that got Zach for uh, the uh, 
Montana thing. I think it was Grant. I think Grant got him. Oh, yeah. I think Grant. Fuck. <laughs> and gave you okay. strawberry milk. Yeah, that's right. He gave <laughs> strawberry milk. Grant Freeman did an excellent job directing Hand to God for Drewell. Uh, that was what we thought was going to be, you know, oh my gosh, this is just going to say everything about our season. This show's so good. This season's going to be unstoppable. Well, it was stoppable by a virus uh, and a pandemic. So, um, you know, maybe we won't put our hand to God next time. To, 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 uh, hand to God, we're doing this whole season. I knew that all of you were uh, very talented and would have chemistry together. And I've uh, worked with Brian a lot and a lot of different stuff. And um, so I, I was confident before we started. But it still was a very easy process. And I'm grateful. Yeah. Uh, have you worked with Indeed. Brian before? Has, who else has worked with Brian before, I guess? I think everyone but Zach, right? Yeah, I have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good working with you, Brian. I <laughs> At Dreamwell, we play, we play Six Degrees of Brian Tanner. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but remember, Melissa Madonna was in, um, in Dead, Dead Man's Dead Man's Cell Phone, yeah. Colin, Colin took a page out of Dottie's book and, and went for what he, you know, went for some things. So <laughs> I, he called me about uh, talking about this podcast and I was very excited about it. I think it's, I plan to keep doing it even past the pandemic because it's a great way to hear new work. It's a great way for people to work together and try things out. And all the plays we're doing, I've been really proud of. Um, this is your fourth show. This is the fourth. Oh, my God, yeah. So um, we decided with uh, spring break and some different stuff that we were going to um, – I just sort of talked Colin into doing one of his shows, I guess, is the long and the short way to say that. So um, – and then he, he showed me a couple, and I, of course, read this, and I wanted to, to tell Dottie's story, uh, which I think it is Dottie's story. So I think that's, that's really great. It's not always easy to write um, – for a stronger female character and I think that you do a good job by uh, having some of the other characters call out some of the sexist things but Dottie herself doesn't really falter from her personality uh, she yeah. and she figures stuff out but she you don't have her go into some hysteria or you know, she's not crying at any point, you know. I really appreciate that. Yeah. There's a lot of appreciation. And she's afraid of pushing buttons. I think she is, um, she's, she's just too, she just knows when to push buttons. She's too, she's smart enough to know that pushing buttons all the time, like Richie does, is not going to get her where she wants to go. She's not, you know, even if she is smarter than PJ, it's 1975, and she's a woman in her neighborhood that's been looked at. She probably still gets looked at as the 12-year-old girl she was by all kinds of people. She's well aware of it, and she uses it to her advantage when it works to be coy, and she uses it as she needs to. But she is ready to get out, and I think she's ready to get out because she'd like to move on and grow and become the next phase of herself. Yeah, I think that the thread throughout the whole show was that she was strong from her entrance on mm -hmm. like there was a lot of maybe not playing as strong as she is but even that point it was there's that definitely core and i think that showed through you think how different the play could have been if she just stayed in the car 
like Rufina <laughs> asked her to, and he it only changes when he she he would leave to go see his mother, and it would that would be the would have like she could have fled. But I will say the whole thing about and I try to do this with everything I work on, everything I write because my entire time doing theater, which has been like since I was in high school. I've noticed that every theater group of people has like, and this is not to slag off my male actor friends, but has like 12 amazing actresses for every one decent actor. And yet the plays that were picked by everybody from high school on seem to have this wealth of really amazing male stories and like and next to nothing for the female actors to actually sink their teeth into. And I kind of am like in a position where if I, as a playwright, if I'm going to write something, I kind of want to get, I've seen so many incredible actresses. I want to give them more roles to actually, that actually have them doing cool shit as opposed to just being someone's wife or sister or whatever. And that's their entire purpose in the play. And uh, also, you know, in the, I just find myself drawn to, you know, stories about i can already see like if the if this podcast had a reddit following i can already see the comments calling me a simp for saying this but the world is full of so many more incredible women than our art reflects um so i think that you know the art should fucking reflect that i don't know but one of my favorite lines in that play is uh you know i daddy i just didn't see you as the type of you know woman that holds you know is robbing me and she's like well that's funny because i always saw you as a mark (laughs) essentially whether she means that or not in that moment i don't know but she obviously does because she said she as we all agree she's probably the mastermind behind the plan and um you know i think back to whether or not richie is i you know i think everyone's their own kind of smart and their own kind of savvy in this play and they each bring something to it i think we covered a lot of yeah we covered a lot things well great experience everyone thank you so much for your participation yeah thank you guys so much this is awesome thanks so much for for having us yeah it was fun really great Um, that was awesome good time good times yeah